Cookville Nazarene Church and friends to uh, our weekly podcast, and uh, hope this finds you well. I hope uh, maybe you've been able to get out to one of your favorite restaurants that's been closed and is opening back up. Um, hope that you're getting to uh, to begin to break some of the uh, stir craziness of being quarantined at home. Um, we are in week three of um, I don't know how long study of the book of Ecclesiastes where that we've that we're calling man's search for meaning because uh, in it we have a documentation of King Solomon's mission to find meaning where he does these experiments and then shares how the hunt for happiness or the search for satisfaction went in uh, as revealed by each of these experiments and then uh, it's interesting, though, because he begins the book or the or the research project, as you as as you might say, uh, by revealing his conclusion right away in the in chapter one. And maybe maybe if you've been to school recently, you would just think of this as his the- thesis statement. He says, "Life apart from knowing God is meaningless." He doesn't say it quite that clear initially. First, he just says everything's meaningless. And then he goes on to explain everything under the sun. And we've talked a bunch about that. That under the sun has to do everything that happens from when you're born to when you die. Everything that happens here on earth under the sun is a limited statement. It's a finite statement. It's not an infinite statement or an eternal statement. And uh, Jesus actually said... The very same thing over a thousand years later, uh, you can read this in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you could think of bearing much fruit as, as bearing the satisfaction of, of meaning, bearing the satisfaction of a life full, a life well lived. Uh, but apart from him, there is no such satisfaction. So, so Ecclesiastes might seem like a strange book. I told you at the beginning, I think there's no better time to study it than right now during all this craziness of COVID-19 and, and for our community, a, a, a tornado and, and just all kinds. Of, it feels like this year is just all out of whack. And Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon's mood is everything is out of whack. There is nothing that is whole in this world. There's nothing that can provide anything true in this world. And so it's a good time, I think, to to see what hope and what lessons can be found in in, uh, such a book. Um, So Solomon and Jesus say, if you're looking to anything under the sun to be your meaning in life, you will come up empty-handed. There's nothing you can afford, and there's nothing you can't afford that will give you a sense of fulfillment and true happiness. And you say, well, what do you mean there's nothing you can or can't afford? Well, it's a really important distinction to make because some might say, yeah, I'm not happy, but I work at Taco Bell. So, of course, I'm not happy. You can't be happy at minimum wage. This, this kind of um, mentality reveals uh, a temptation to believe I'm not happy because this is the way my life is. But if I could reach a class or status above my current position in life, I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. I would have meaning. However, Solomon proves that there is nothing you can or can't afford that would give you meaning or fulfillment. 
he had it all and tried it all, and he found it all to be meaningless. And that's exactly what he says where we pick up in Ecclesiastes today. Chapter 2, verse 12. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? So he, he, he's actually just restating the first two experiments that he's done. He said, so far I've looked at wisdom, and, and here that word wisdom is meant to be under, not meant to be understood in the spiritual sense, but in a human sense, like understanding and knowing as much as can be understood and known, like studying everything that can be studied. And it, It's not wisdom in the spiritual sense as far as being able to make right choices and uh, be righteous, but, but wisdom in a human sense. And so he, so he says, I've looked at that kind of wisdom, and I've looked at pleasure. I, I've looked at, at all the ways to have fun and all the ways to seek um, satisfaction in a hedonistic kind of way. Um, and, and then he said, he makes kind of a, uh, it's a, it's a, it might sound like an arrogant statement, but it's a true statement. He says, what more does anyone that would come after me think that they could experience that I could not? Yeah, he's, he says, in other words, if you think the times have changed and you have more access than I did, and so my experiments were incomplete, I say, nope. <laughs> All you'll do is try the same experiences, only I had more money and I had more access and I had more of every. There's literally nothing more that anyone could try that comes after me than all that I've been able to try. And so you can be sure my search is as exhaustive as anyone will ever be. So listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Even so, like we said last week, it's not that these things, wisdom, pleasure, and the other things that he's going to talk about as we continue to go through the study, it's not that these things don't have any value. It's just that they have no value under the sun in that limited frame of time that we have alive on this earth. You need to be in the Son, capital S, the Son of God, for anything to have meaning. And that's what Jesus says too. So, so don't think this is just a grumpy Old Testament. This, this is a consistent thought throughout Scripture, and, and it is a part of the teaching of God. Okay. Uh, so the passage continues, verse 13. He says, I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Or pleasure. I saw that wisdom is better than pleasure, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in darkness. So there's a little illustration there. We'll talk about that in a second. So here, but what he says in verse 13, he says, I compared wisdom, human wisdom, and pleasure. And in comparing them, I conclude that human wisdom, human understanding and knowledge, is better than just hedonistic pleasure. In a vacuum. Have you heard that phrase before? Maybe you've heard that before and you didn't know what that meant. That phrase, in a vacuum, simply means where there are no other outside influences. So take away context, take away pressures, and uh, other things that might exert influence on the way you think about something, and just compare those things merit for merit with no other context, knowledge, or understanding about those things. And he says, human wisdom is better than hedonism or just pleasure for the sake of pleasure. And we know, like he's already covered in uh, chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, that these two things both have their problems. That both human wisdom and 
uh, pleasure for the sake of pleasure have their problems. But now he's saying, okay, now I'm thinking about the two in comparison and their value under the sun. And he says, yeah, when I was pursuing human understanding, human wisdom, human knowledge, I was more aware of my sorrow and the brokenness of the world as I pursued greater and greater human wisdom. But at least when I was working for wisdom, I never woke up wondering, hey, where am I? How did I get here? What did I do last week? And why am I wearing a Zorro costume? He never had to spend a substantial portion of time hugging a porcelain throne, puking so hard he's pretty sure gum that he swallowed in junior high is coming out of his spleen. He's saying there is a natural pain and regret that comes with living for pleasure, and it's called the morning after. It's called a hangover. It's called, oh no, what did I do? He says, here's the thing, is pleasure, while fun in the moment, comes with a great darkness when it is sought as its own end, when it's only sought under the sun and not in the Son of God. Um, when I was seven years old, I was at the church late at night as my parents practiced with the choir and worship team. Uh, I was chewing some strawberry bubble tape and playing hide and seek. And as we all ran around the church with no supervision, the madness and folly of pleasure began to take over and the law of diminishing returns began to work its mischief. See, soon my bubble tape didn't taste much like strawberries, and the hide-and-seek was becoming less and less interesting as we used up all the best hiding places. So I got this brilliant idea. I said, let's play hide-and-seek in the dark. The pitch dark. All the windows are dark because it's dark outside, and we'll turn off all the lights, and it'll be hilarious fun. And before we start, I'm going to stuff this two-foot of bubble tape that's left in my container all into my mouth at once so that I will never lose the strawberry goodness of that bubble tape. Now, as most pleasure-seeking endeavors do, it did not end well. I ran into a brick wall. Literally, I ran into a brick wall in the dark and I busted my lip wide open. And by the time I found a light... My mouth was filled with this, with this kind of like taste of iron, and I wanted to get that nasty gum out of my mouth as soon as possible. Of course, here's the thing is I was not old enough to know that that taste of iron, I didn't know that that was the taste of iron, and I didn't know that that taste had nothing to do with my gum. And when I spit out that gob of gum covered in blood from my gushing lip, I panicked and screamed like I had never screamed before. And I'm pretty sure like I've never screamed since. I literally shut down the choir practice. My screams were so loud they heard me over all the instruments. They heard me over all the voices. And parents came running out the uh, stage side exit or the, uh, the stage right exit, which went into the hallway that went down to the fellowship hall and found me in the kitchen uh, with this massive red, blood, blood red blob sitting on the counter and me screaming my guts out and my mouth all red too. And I can only imagine all of the horror that might have gone through the, their heads wondering what had happened. It was crazy. But what I learned exa- was, was exactly what Solomon wrote 3,000 years earlier. 
the pleasure-seeking fool walks around in darkness. <laughs> right? Eventually the madness and folly takes over and you just lose all sense and reason and sight and you get hurt. There's regret and there's pain. And, and, and Solomon is saying, hey, listen, wisdom cannot satisfy on its own. We learned that lesson in chapter 1. But at least it has eyes. At least it, it, it's, it's, looking, it's walking around in the light. At least I can get up and be productive for the day. At least I can remember my kids' names. At least I cannot have the morning after regret that comes with 700 wives and 300 stripper girlfriends. And if you're confused about that statement, you need to listen to or read last week. He says, but still, though there is some gain in wisdom compared to pleasure, there's another problem that both have. And so the second half of verse 14 says, I, I came to realize that the same fate overtakes the wise man and the fool. The same fate overtakes them both. What is that fate? Well, it's the fate that the writer of Hebrews records in, verse, uh, in chapter 9, verse 27. He says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. One out of every one person will eventually die. <laughs> that is an impressive percentage, right? Nobody escapes those statistics. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the, in the message version of the same verse. He, he says, though the smart ones see where they're going, and the stupid ones grope in the dark, they are all the same in the end. One fate for all, and that's it. Period. Uh, he doesn't say period, but there's a period, and when I just I read it, I see that period, and I'm like, man, that is just the period to end all periods. One fate for all, and that's it. Rich or poor, educated or ignorant, sober or drunk, tall or short, black or white, helpful as Jack, selfish as Sawyer, or lovable as Hurley, can I get a, get a holler from any Lost fans out there? That's an old show, I know, but it's a classic. And, and it teaches this lesson. You're going to die and there's no coming back. Dead is dead. If you're not a Lost fan, I'm sorry that you don't fully understand that rest of it. Maybe you've seen the movie The Sixth Sense. Spoiler alert, by the way. In The Sixth Sense, we learn that dead is dead. We think that Bruce Willis's character is alive all along, but actually he's dead. Because dead is dead. The, the, the catch of the whole movie we witness in the first minutes of it. And if you're like, oh, you just ruined it. Well, I'm sorry, the movie's 20 years old. You should have seen it by now. Bottom line, dead is dead. That's what Solomon says. This is the problem for both the wise and the, the foolish man. The foolish man thinks he's, he's living life to the full, having all the fun. And the wise man, the wise man thinks that he's understanding uh, how all of this works and that somehow... They both think that they're maxing out life. But the bottom line is they both, same, they both eventually face the same fate. Dead is dead. And that's a sobering realization for Solomon. He's not happy about this realization, as we'll see. Woody Allen has summed up the feeling that Solomon has for our generations. He says, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Wow. But nonetheless... We will be there on that day. There is no getting around it. We will be there on that day. We will face death. And under the sun, and that's a key phrase, under the sun, dead is dead. That's what Solomon's observing here. 
you can compare the merits of wisdom and pleasure all you want, but both will die. Both will suffer the same fate, and that's it. Verse 15, he says, So I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. Remember, he said, wisdom was better, and I've applied myself to wisdom, but he says, but he says, now I'm realizing the fate of the fool will still overtake me. So what then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. Can you hear him struggling with his mortality? He, he says, I may be wise, and I may be contributing some things to this world, but what does that matter if in the end I die anyway? Solomon's father, King David, actually made the same observation. He said, For all can see that even the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, both leaving their wealth to others. That's Psalm 49, verse 10. And what David is saying is, Whatever legacy or estate that I have, regardless of my background or my contribution, I die, and so do all the others above and below me. And our legacies are left to someone else with little care about us. As it is said, death is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer. And that's the title of this evening's message. Death is the great equalizer. Regardless of your life, the way that you live while you're breathing, you'll be pronounced dead taken to a mortuary, washed, embalmed, and entombed, pretty much the same as anyone else. Everything we do to fight against this, the antibiotics, the doctor visits, etc., etc., merely delays the inevitable. I found an interview um, conducted with Leonardo DiCaprio several years back uh, following the massive blockbuster success of, of his movie Inception, very interesting. He said, he said uh, I had a lot of fun when I was young. And the writer records, he said this with a smile that suggests you can't even imagine how much fun he had. He said, I didn't care what anyone thought. The world was our fun playground. But it was also about avoiding the tornado of chaos and the potential pitfalls of our fun. He went on to describe the way that he had seen other people around him kill themselves or lose their lives in that tornado of chaos, these potential pitfalls. And he, he explains, I'm trying, he doesn't use these exact words, but what he, what he explains in essence is, I'm trying to balance human wisdom and pleasure. I'm trying not to get myself killed but I'm trying to have as much fun as I can too. And that's what Solomon is doing here. He's comparing the two. Like, can I have a little bit of this? And can I have a little bit of that? Like, maybe wisdom can help balance out the pleasure. Wisdom's a little bit better. So if I apply myself a little bit more to the wisdom, then maybe the pleasure won't be so foolish. It won't lead to so much regret. And that's exactly what Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to do as he, as he uh, reflects here in this, in this interview. And it... It's interesting, though, because just a couple years later, he nearly died um, on a scuba diving trip. He saw some stingrays. He wandered away from his group. Uh, something happened with his oxygen. He realized, like, if he surfaced too fast, he was going to be seriously hurt, and he very nearly died. 
he, at the last second, he swam over to his group, uh, and they shared their oxygen with him until they could s surface properly. Um, but a after that, he's asked about this experience, and he was quoted as saying, hey, listen, I try to do as much as I can in a day to not die. Still, as hard as I try, sometimes death cannot be avoided because accidents happen. It's like, oh, really? You try to do everything you can in a day to not die? Like, duh. And isn't that what we all do, right? We try to do as much as we can to not die, but in the end, it cannot be avoided. So wisdom is good. Human wisdom is good. You know, applying basic knowledge and understanding and learning is good, but no amount of wisdom can bring any kind of balanced approach to pleasure that can prevent death. Even if you manage to avoid accidents all your life, eventually your body just gives up. It wears out. Death is inevitable. No amount of human wisdom can stop that. And so DiCaprio, almost anticipating this in his own mind, he goes on to explain that he's attempting to live on through his work in film. He says, at the end of a long day, on the one hand, you're physically and emotionally exhausted after 40 takes of the same scene. And on the other hand, there's this great sense of accomplishment because you know that now that you've finished, no one can take that away. Well, get this. He says, it will live on forever. So what's he doing? He's, he's striving for his own version of immortality. He's saying, I'm going to be as wise as I can and live as long as I can with as much gusto as I can and I'm going to apply myself to some things that I, th I know that death is inevitable, but I'm not really going to think about that. I'm just going to try and live life to the max, and I'm going to try and do a few things that after I'm gone, they won't ever forget me. Solomon has a response to the idea that your efforts will somehow cause people to remember forever, remember you forever, that somehow you could live forever. Solomon says, spoiler alert, no, they won't remember you forever. This is what he says in verse 16. He says, for the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So Solomon says, they're not going to remember you. And, and here's just the practical reality. The living have to move on for their own sake. I know that we don't really want to think about this. And I, I'm not, I don't mean to in, insult anyone. I'm, I'm saying this about myself too. Even those who love me the most, for their own sake, when I die, they have to move on. They have to some degree forget about me. Okay? They're, I want to do some things that, that, that lead them to living their best life. But the things that, that I'm, I'm investing in are not human wisdom. And they're not human pleasure. They're not under the sun. Okay? Anything I really do under the sun, the person, the personality that I am, will soon be forgotten. And, the, and that's just natural. The living have to so that they don't lose all sanity to depression. If, if they didn't move on, then they would wallow in misery 
and soon die themselves of a broken heart. And yes, some people are known for a while, but the reality is for Abe Lincoln or anybody, some of these famous characters throughout history, we remember some of the things they did, but people stopped really caring about them soon after they were gone. I mean, even, even if not soon, at some point they stopped caring. Think about your history class. You might find it interesting, like even if you like history and, and you, you see their contributions as important, Still, I would ask, so what? I mean, right? Don't, you, you don't care about Abe Lincoln, per se. You don't, you don't really remember him beyond what he did for our country and therefore for you. Like, it's really a kind of a selfish remembrance. Like, maybe you adapt some of their ideas because you realize they're a good way to live and it's good to humankind and, and all of that. And that is a legacy of sorts. But Solomon is saying, really, though, what is there under the sun? Like, none of us remember what Abraham Lincoln was actually like. We just remember some things he did in the sun, in the Son of God, right? Okay, so Solomon's really saying, life is pointless, then you die, and everyone <laughs> forgets you. Doesn't matter if you lived it up or you gained understanding about all things, Dead is dead. Verse 17, this is how Solomon feels about that. He says, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun is grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The question he's asking here really is, so what's the point? What is the point? And that is when Stoicism, Fatalism, Goth, Emo, and every other depressed culture was born. Eeyore, you know, that, that's where it was all born. This, this is a tale as old, old as time. There's really nothing new under the sun, including philosophical states of being. Because here, right here, we have this fatalistic, Emo, Eeyore, persona that suddenly overtakes Solomon as he realizes life under the sun is pointless. Death in the end claims it all. Once again, you all are now so glad <laughs> that you decided to listen to a Bible lesson this week to be encouraged. Like, Pastor, uh, aren't you supposed to tell me that God loves me or something like that? Well, yeah, <laughs> and I'll get to that in a minute. But first, we need to be clear that apart from God's love, there is no point. Well, what's the point? Well, apart from God's love, there is no point. See, we find, we find in this verse again, the all-important caveat, though, of the research behind Ecclesiastes. Okay, Apart from God's love, there is no point. But that is the key caveat. Apart from God's love, the way that Solomon says it is what's done under the sun. That, that, that is what is grievous and meaningless and a chasing after the wind. So Solomon is speaking of life on this earth only, strictly from a secular humanistic perspective without any thought or inclusion of God. But here's the good news. We were meant to live our lives, we, we were not meant to live our lives under the sun without the Son of God. Okay? 
Now that's what Solomon's getting at in this whole deal. He's saying life is pointless, then you die, and everyone forgets you under the sun. But there's more than what's under the sun. There's, there's more than just death. Remember the verse, Hebrews 9.27, we read earlier, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. What judgment? The judgment is when we stand before the eternal God. The judgment, and, and so, so judgment's not just supposed to be a threat, but it's a promise. It's, it's a promise that there is something more than death. So we weren't meant to live without the Son of God. To live without the Son of God is like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. With enough force, you might be able to get it in there, but then you're stuck, and you hate life, and you're all banged up, and it's grievous and meaningless and a chasing after the wind. You don't fit, and there is no meaning or fulfillment in being stuck and beat, beaten up, jammed into a place that you weren't supposed to be. But life in the sun has meaning beyond death. Life in the sun fits. It works. It's good. Life in the sun. And life in the sun even more importantly, is eternal. Life in the Son goes on forever. It goes beyond death. And the judgment is not to say that anything that you do under the Son adds up to eternal life. No. What we learn in the rest of the story of Scripture is that the key to living in the Son is to have a relationship with Him. And here's why He can give us that eternal life. Because for Jesus, dead isn't dead. We've been saying dead is dead for the rest of us. But for Jesus, dead isn't dead. And if you have a relationship with Him, dead isn't dead for you either. This is what Romans 8, 8-10 through 10 says. It says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. So if we have a relationship with Jesus... Dead isn't dead for us either. But how is that possible? He goes on to say, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. And the life He lives, He lives to God. Do you know what, do you know what that's saying right there? The death He died, He died to sin or life under the sun without the sun once for all. And now the life he lives, he lives to God. He lives his life now in the Son. Or rather, in the Father. He lives in the Father. We live in the Son to the Father. Right? So that, that is the good news tonight. And that, that's where, wherever, that can be good news anyway. But it's only good news if you've chosen to live your life in the Son. If you've chosen to find meaning, not in just trying to balance enough wisdom that the pain and regret and chaos of pleasure doesn't sweep you away. But, it is, but true wisdom, spiritual wisdom, is to recognize our need for something more than what is found under the sun. Spiritual wisdom is to fear the Lord. That's what Solomon says in another book called Proverbs. He says the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of spiritual wisdom, the beginning of right choices that lead to a straight and good path is the fear of the Lord, the awe and the reverence and the worship of 
God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is true wisdom. That is, that is the kind of wisdom in which all real meaningful pleasure is found. And so as, as I close in prayer, I just want to encourage those who maybe are struggling with sickness or illness, basically facing their mortality in some way or another, and remind you that for Jesus, dead isn't dead. For Jesus, broken isn't broken. For, for Jesus, sick isn't sick forever. See, if you believe in Him, you will also live with Him as He lives. And I, I, want, I want to admonish you, if you can, are running into brick walls in the dark, like I did as a seven-year-old, <laughs> if, if, every, if every road you go down seems to be a dead end, if, and if you are living without God, if you are living just under the sun and not in the sun, I, I want to I admonish you, you can find fulfillment. You can find a place that fits and is good and right and true in Jesus. But only in Him. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. So let, let's, let's turn our hope and our lives over to the truth that for Jesus, dead isn't dead. And, and let's put all of our reliance and faith on Him. Heavenly Father, just thank You for this, uh, for this book. And uh, strange as it may seem at times, uh, I just pray, Lord, that You would uh, open its truth to us in Jesus' name and that You would use the, this, this lesson, these experiments, this research that You blessed Solomon to be able to do you gave him the resource and the mind to pursue it. And uh, you helped him to endure the trials and um, rescued him from the sin uh, so that this, this lesson could be passed on. Lord, I pray for those who maybe are feeling uh, overwhelmed with death, uh, death of loved ones, uh, death of, of something that the, a death of something they used to be able to do that they can't anymore physically. Um, just depression and, and weight, Lord, I just pray for them that they would know today that for you, those things are becoming undone. You're making those things untrue. You're making them whole again and right again and, and that you, they will be raised That and each one of those broken situations will be raised and made whole just as you were raised and made whole again. And I pray for the one or two or three or however many are out there that may hear this in the days or weeks ahead that are running into brick walls in the dark. I remember being there myself spiritually and trying so hard and, and thinking that I had the smarts and that I, I had the understanding um, to make myself happy and just how empty I was at that time. And then I think about the day that I finally turned it all over to you and I look back at the path from that point on and I just pray that for, for anyone else that's in that spot that I was um, 15 years ago, that, uh, that Lord, you, you would shine some light into their darkness, that you would come running to them as they realize uh, the, <laughs> the bloody mess that they've become, and that you would embrace them and clean them up and make them whole again uh, as they lean into you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.